So, quantum gospel. Don't overthink it too much. Um, but uh, this is going to be a, a theme that's going to stretch your thinking a little bit. I think what I want to say right now at the start is to say this. Some of you have found this more true than others because you've been around longer than others. Just when you think you know a lot, something new opens up and you realize you don't know. That humbling is not a bad thing. And in case you're wondering, it still happens to me too. So, And I hope it never ends. I'd be worried if it does end um, because I can't imagine ever figuring God out perfectly. But I also want to be careful in saying that it doesn't mean that we live in the state of perpetual like daftness, like, oh, we just don't know what's going on around us which obviously cannot be possible either, given that we are intellectual beings. Given the fact that creation has been designed with a purpose, with a pattern, and to be able to be communicated in various ways. So all we're finding here is this, let's say this. We're not going to outrightly say that we are not family or equally saved to millions of people who might not even ever find out a quarter of what we know. But then we've got to keep that tension in balance as well. What I mean by that, this is not an excuse. The fact that Jesus saves and not everyone will know exactly the same is not an excuse to not care. Does that make sense? So it's never an excuse. And be careful how you talk to people so as not to make that open as a possible out. Look, I don't need to know what you know. I've got Jesus. That gets dangerous, although that is what gets said. We have to pursue truth. And what is the, the main thing about the Spirit? He will come to lead us into all truth. So the question is always going to be, why should I know this and you shouldn't? Does that make sense? There's no conceivable reason. So what, what we like doing or what I've liked doing in RBS is exploring all these angles that are there to be explored and not going to lie, probably one of the reasons why is to help reset Christianity and give it more to think about, to undo some of the mistakes that have happened. And again, I'm not going to hide it. When I think when all the mistakes in modern Christianity are undone, then all that you'll have left is Messianic Judaism. Um, and that is would sound extreme to some people, but I think after a session like today, again, you might understand. <clears throat> so why am I saying quantum gospel? Let's start with this. We understand time, space, everything, reality, linear. Okay, You live, you're born, you end up dying. There's a linear pattern. That's the way the normal human psyche works, and it's, that's the right way for it to work. There's a lot designed in creation to work in that understanding. Your Bible is written in that pattern. Have you noticed that? It starts at a beginning and it ends at an end. Yet every now and then at regular intervals in the scripture, weird things start happening that don't make sense. They don't make sense on that line. Does that, you follow what I'm saying? It doesn't reason out perfectly in that line. Now, the amazing part is, is that all of you, me, everyone else, even Christians who don't really care much about the deeper things here, know more about quantum physics than they realize. You know why I say that? Because if you believe in any spiritual realm at all, you already believe in quantum physics. Now, this is where we're going to be careful. Quantum physics is a language. It's just a concept. It's just an idea. 
it's a science that deals with a certain part of reality. And it is there. It's theories, okay? But even theories have purpose, and even theories, whether we prove them right or wrong, or they are there, and they are necessary. It's part of how we communicate. So the point is, we all see this one option. And now what has been in the last few weeks, one of the biggest ways that I've messed with and come close to sounding heretical, it's things I've been saying about the cross, things I've been saying about what could have happened, what should have happened, right? Now, why is that a problem for people? Do you know why? They see the yellow line. And I'm suggesting there's something other than the yellow line. But it's contradictory on their part, isn't it? In the sense that they believe in the supernatural. And what is the supernatural? It's anything that can be explained outside of the realm of the natural, you get that. If if Jackie had to walk in here now without needing Nande to open the door, if we all know the door is locked and the gate is locked and the key is laying here, and Jackie suddenly walked in, are we just going to carry on like normal? Aye. It's, it's going to bother us to some extent. Why is it going to bother us? Because Jackie shouldn't be able to pass through a locked gate or a door. If we don't hear the ping of the door, we're going to be like, okay, wait. And why is it that that's going to bother us again? Because the yellow line tells us the gate needs to be unlocked. The door needs to be opened. When the door is opened, it needs to ping because we know that the alarm does that. You follow what I'm saying? We would find it strange if it didn't work that way. Yet. We believe, or people that would struggle with what I'm suggesting is an alternative options here, would believe that a woman fell pregnant without having sex, that the person who was born is the creator of the universe, that angels do exist, that don't age. <laughs> Say it again. Sounds like a Marvel movie. <laughs> you, heard what, you heard what Sam said. It sounds like a Marvel movie. Keep that in mind. It's going to become interesting soon. Okay. So what am I suggesting? I'm suggesting that there are alternative options and even realities. Imagine that. Alternative options and realities. And look, this gets weird very quickly which is why most people don't want to talk about it. In fact, one um, quantum theorist said, anyone who claims, anyone who claims to understand quantum theory is a liar. And it's an interesting thing because what he's suggesting is it makes so little sense on the yellow line that if you're going to claim you fully understand it, you'd be the first. And why is that kind of true? Because the yellow line tells us how things are. Any other line is actually beyond full comprehension. Now, Nandi and I had a conversation at school Thursday where I said people assume that the distance in intellect and ability between us and Satan okay, is a certain amount and that somehow the distance between God and Satan is smaller. You follow what I'm saying? 
And why do we make that reasoning? Just it would be a natural reasoning until you actually challenged it with, with learning something. The reason why you'd believe that is because you understand the difference between you and a supernatural being, whoever it is, and that's huge. You can't even measure how big that is actually. Guess why? Because guess where they live in? The quantum realm. Now, and your brain might want to pop with this one. The quantum realm is only an explanation of something the quantum theory can't even explain. Does that make sense? Quantum theory is the best way to explain something that it can't actually explain. You hear what I'm saying? Now, the distance between us and Satan. Again, notice what I'm using to measure that. I'm communicating, but I'm using, again, a linear issue because I can measure something linear. How do you measure something before actually suggesting what to measure? You get what I'm saying? To measure something, you actually have to point to something, and that thing has to have dimensions. Does the quantum realm have dimensions? It doesn't. So how do you measure it? Although it must be measurable, the only point is we can't measure it. Now let's go to some scriptures. Who can know God? Who can understand the mind of God? You see, Do you realize that this is technically quantum theory in scripture? Or, of course, I don't want to dumb down scripture. Quantum theory is dumb down. The scripture is the real thing. Quantum theory is the child with a crayon trying to draw an architectural design. And quantum theory would twist most brains. So we have to accept these alternative options. According to the New Testament. Sorry. I promised you we'd start looking at that alternative theory of what could have happened. I've broken up Daniel Lancaster's whole thing into portions that we can use here. I'm deliberately interspersing it into what I'm saying to give you a real feel of what quantum theory looks like. It doesn't always work out perfectly linear. Okay, so you've got to listen into it and get what you can out of it and enjoy the how they call it, uh, the entanglement. Let's use some of the language. Entanglement suggests all these things entangle, and it's not neat, it's not pretty. It doesn't always play by the rules. But just listen, because you'll get something still. So pay attention to the pictures, the three, and listen to what he's saying. Now remember, what's the key theory he's presenting here? What if something different happened? Now this is difficult for Christians, because that line is yellow. And the yellow line says, this is how it had to go. Yet I'm going to tell you, quantum gospel is going to tell you that's not true. According to the New Testament, all this might have been avoided if Yeshua's message of the good news had been heeded. If the generation had repented, things might have come out differently. You hear him say it. Telling you the gospel could have been different. This whole story could have been different. That would unnerve most people because you place all your hope in the story that did happen. And understand this, even while we say it could have been different, is it undermining what did in fact happen? No. See, you mustn't lower God to your standard of level of thinking. He can redeem and do whatever he wanted, however he wanted. The fact that it happened a certain way is obviously important, but what are you missing when you don't understand what could have happened? And in fact, what should have happened is the way to say it. See, now, yeah, where we're getting into now is the most important and responsible way to deal with the text that you've been given. 
Now, please, let me give you a warning now. Do not try right away and tell this stuff to people that you're trying to minister to. You will lose them. You need to explore this more with us. And then we see, we talk about why this is valuable. What do we get out of it? And then how do we use it if we're going to with newbies, if you want to call it that. What would have happened if Yeshua's generation had heeded his message and repented? If Israel had accepted Yeshua of Nazareth and made him King Messiah, how would God's plan for the salvation of human beings have been accomplished? From where would we find atonement? Here he's asking. That's a fair question. That's a logical Christian question. If that didn't happen, how do we get saved? But that assumes... That assumes that God is bound by time and space. How stupid is that? If that's his limitation, then he is you. Then you're stuffed in any case because he's not God. We wouldn't need that if it happened like it should have. If everyone accepted him and he reigns, then we don't need it because we've got it. Am I? Okay. Well, there would be a different way for it to play out. But you see... The Christian gospel has no place for the alternatives because the Christian gospel has pretty much done what it wants with a text that doesn't belong to it. Do you get that? So that's kind of what we're doing here. And it is a bit nerve-wracking. If you still have a basic view of the gospel, which you probably do, even with studying here, you still have a logical expectation that he had to die. This had to happen. This has always been there. So we are going to kind of untangle that. And it it can make you feel a bit insecure. But what could happen if we can untangle it and you don't have to lose your salvation? That would be an interesting journey to go on. That's what we're going to see. I want to say this. Einstein was wrong. I completely disagree with Einstein's um, time-space continuum. So Einstein believes that time and space are entangled. I don't think so. I don't think there's evidence for it. Um, a lot of Einstein's theories are, to me, bias. Let me give you an example. He used one of his light bulb moments was the idea of someone being on a train and someone standing at a train station platform. And as the train's coming past, there's two bolts of lightning that come a few seconds apart or a second apart. What does the man standing on the platform see? He sees the one, and then he sees the other bolt of lightning in succession. Right? The guy coming past on the train sees it differently, depending on two things. What side he comes from first, and at what speed the train is moving. Now, based on that, there's the theory of relativity, which means what you see is relative to where you find yourself. That's fine as a theory. But who is actually seeing what really happened? It's the guy standing on the platform. The guy that's moving is getting a distorted view of reality. Look, the the man standing there, there is a train station, there is all of that. But how he sees it happen is not. Now, my problem is, is that there's only one reality of what actually happened in this time and space. Relativity applies to you, not to reality, though. Does that make sense? Your perspective is relative, but truth isn't. And this is what atheists jump all over. 
they bully people with that. But if you just get them to realize that truth is not relative, their opinion is. Their argument can't stand long after that. Unfortunately, Christianity ends up doing the same thing. Oh, it's my truth. The Spirit will reveal to me. Or like Ryan said earlier, when you show someone there's something they don't understand, what's the answer? Oh, I haven't seen that scripture. Like that's some, oh, oh, you haven't seen it. Oh, then it can't be true because you didn't see it. But that just, yeah. They don't care about that. And that's worrisome on its own. That's very dangerous. Okay. Some of these quotes now that I'm going to read to you now is going to be from Abraham Heschel, which was the philosopher that was wrote extensively on the Sabbath. Okay, so listen to what he says. So all these quotes will be from his book on the Sabbath. Architecture of time. Technical civilization is man's conquest of space. It is triumph frequently achieved um, by sacrificing an essential ingredient of existence, namely time. In technical civilization, we expend time to gain space. To enhance our power in the world of space is our main objective. Yet to have more does not mean to be more. Interesting, huh? The power we attain in the world of space terminates abruptly at the borderline of time. But it, what? But it, but time is the heart of existence. Does that make sense? So in other words, he's saying we relate to time as a means to make things. So we use time in order to manipulate space, actually. And we can manipulate space. I've said that before. But can you manipulate time? And that's why so Einstein is wrong. See, because Einstein speaks about the time-space continuum, space-time continuum. The two are not inevitably entangled. Can we manipulate space? Yes, we can do a lot to space. I can move. Can I manipulate matter? There, I've just done it. Can I manipulate space? I did. This desk wasn't like this when I came in. But can I manipulate time? Guys, I don't know what's going on with this with these flies, eh? You can swat them down. Please do. Just give them the fivefold ministry. Okay. Does that make sense what I'm saying? We cannot manipulate time. We can experience it, but it's the one thing that we do not master. We do not manage it. We do not have control, effective control over it. The Talmud discusses the question of whether or not the generation... Okay, let, me, let me say this. Talmud, which is some of the Jewish philosophical writings, and again, be careful with this, but just listen to what this portion of what Daniel says. In this portion, listen to what he says about that, and tell, tell me if it sounds familiar. The ta- ah, sorry. The Talmud discusses the question of whether or not the generation of Messiah will be found worthy of redemption. Rabbi Yehoshua ben Levi, who lived more than a century after the Apostles, points out a contradiction in Isaiah chapter 60 verse 22 that seems to imply two potential scenarios for the redemption. Isaiah chapter 60 verse 22 says, I, the Lord, will hasten it in its time. Scenario 1, 
the Lord will hasten the redemption by bringing it before its appointed time. Scenario two, the Lord will bring the redemption in its time, that is, at the time he appointed. So Rabbi Yehoshua ben Levi said, it is written, in its time, the Messiah will come. And yet it is also written, I will hasten it. He explained this apparent contradiction to mean that if a generation is found worthy of Messiah, God will hasten the appointed time of redemption and bring it early. If no generation is ever found worthy, he will not hasten it. Instead, the Messiah will come at the due time in its time. According to this idea, the appointed time for the redemption is not a hard and fast date as much as an outside limit, a deadline for the redemption meant to be used only as a last resort. Okay, does that make sense? So there's two possible times for redemption to come. The one is hastened and the other one is in its time. And in its time is as random as you can imagine because you don't know what in its time actually means. So here's the thing. Go back to Christian logic. Jesus had to come when he did and this all had to happen and everything. Mm, are you sure about that? Do you even know why he came? And the answer is most Christians don't. Did Jesus come to save mankind from their sins? No. How's that for a scary answer? How do I prove it? I'll say you prove it to me with scripture and I'll show you why it's not true in scripture. And what's my point? Of course, at the end of all things, that is what he comes. But is that the starting point? And I'm sorry, I don't know about you. I'm not going to let people get away with twisting the reality of my Messiah. Who's with me on that? I'm not going to allow it. I don't care if I cause you a heart attack even. I'm not going to allow it. You're not going to reduce this gospel and this Jewish Messiah to your get-out-of-jail-free card on Monopoly. I'm not going to do it because it's not reasonable. And this is why we're looking at, at ideas. So already what have we got part of the gospel? That anyone who thinks they qualify to speak about Jesus has to know this point. Hastening or in its time. How many Christians could honestly talk about that? They can't. They've got no clue of it. They've got no clue at all of what that should mean. Now, just a, <clears throat> a future heads up kind of thing. I think next week, Arnand is going to join us, Samantha's husband, because he's going to be taking over managing the finances from, from Gail because he's local, so it makes it easier. And we are going to be, he wants a few minutes to talk about finance and about asking everyone to make a contribution and to commit to the ministry in that way. I said to him, I don't even want to be here. Imagine that there's something so controversial, I don't want to be near it. Um, we do need funding. We need a lot more funding than what we do have. I take the blame for us not having this culture because I've never created it from the start, but we do need it. And what you're looking at is one of the reasons why we need it. There's going to be a lot of projects. This is a kind of a teaser, which I hope you're going to love and want to get involved in when you see what this is about. You've seen some of this in course in um, Chronicles of Darkness. This is along the same line, and you're going to see why this becomes useful. What did Samantha, what, what did you say? What movie does it sound like? Just say it again. Marvel is up to something. I know what it is, and I can't try and go into full detail yet, but I'm going to tease you and whet your appetite, hopefully, now. 
in terms of what we're dealing with. So Marvel Gospels, they, this will be part of the series that I'm doing um, with an expert in Marvel movies, my friend, uh, like I can't even tell, it's actually quite, he's like a Marvel rabbi, I've got to actually say. So sitting with him is quite an interesting experience. So this will be a series of this because he has the question, is Satan aware of the gospel? Is Satan aware of what's coming? And if he's aware, what might he do to interfere and to preempt or to twist or to do something with things? Now, John said something interesting when we were together the other day, um, driving around last week, Wednesday. John said the reason why Jesus told the demons not to speak is because the demons should not declare truth. And I agree with him. That's why he shuts them up. Their job is not to proclaim the gospel. That's part of why they get shut up. Yet they're still talking through Marvel. Watch this if you haven't seen it. Has anyone watched the new Marvel movie? <laughs> now I'm not going. There's not going to. I'm not going to really. Now I won't go into the stuff that that will spoil it for you. It's called Endgame, and that kind of speaks for itself in a way, doesn't it? it tells you a lot on its own. Now, if you're not familiar with the with M with the MU, which is the Marvel Universe, it comprises of a complex set of universes and gods and people and planets and beyond that it goes so deep into supernatural realm that you could learn the supernatural realm just from watching marvel quite honestly it's it's quite something it's clear that they're up to something so keep that in mind with what we're going to see he called upon them to seek first the kingdom and God's righteousness. If they would repent and be found worthy, they would receive the Messianic era. They would hear the trumpet of Messiah and see the ingathering of the exiles from the four winds, from one end of the sky to the other. These things were near, right at the door. He said, Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Matthew twenty-four thirty-four. The promise came with a contingency. If the generation did not repent, they would receive calamity and exile rather than redemption and the kingdom. He warned them in Luke 13.3, Unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Guys, let's quickly test that theory. It all had to happen the way it happened. Is that true? It's not true. If you do this, then this will happen. If you don't do this, then this will happen. That implies an alternative. That implies something was supposed to happen differently, which now begs the question, did Jesus come on time or ahead of time? Don't try and answer it yet, because you know it's ironic. One of the events in the gospel tells you the answer to that. And you might not have made the connection before, but after today, again, the gospels are going to look different to you. And it's always been there. It's not something I've added into it. Let's go back to the Marvel Gospel. I've got to be honest with you. This Doctor Strange is one of my favorite characters in the Marvel Universe. And it's probably got to do with the fact that Doctor Strange deals with quantum theory. It's like completely built on it. So that's probably why I like him the most. But I have to confess there are problems with Doctor Strange. You might even see some of it just by looking at the picture of him there now already. 
Um, so the first option is this. Who knows who this is? Shiva. And you know, ironically, Shiva is not actually a woman. It's a man. That's what's interesting too, that Shiva is actually a male god. Um, so the obvious connection is what? Multiple arms. What do you think those multiple arms represent? Multiverse. Multiple universes, multiple options. Um, the fact that they would almost suggest that you exist in multiple planes at the same time. Okay, now this, it gets weird quickly. Do I believe it's possibly true? Yeah, I do think so. But don't try and understand it because you can't fully understand it. These little elements that they play with that are dangerous, and that's what we're going to look at here. Hmm. Paul um, referred to something quite interesting in the book of Ephesians. He says he seated us in the heavenly places. So Yeshua seating us in the heavenly places. We are here. But am I right to say he's there with us? We are there already in the heavenly places. That is like a quantum gospel scripture. Because how are you there if you are? Yeah. Why when I go to sleep at night do I pray, my dear, I need take my soul, my spirit, the essence of me that comes from God, returns to God while I'm sleeping. And when I wake up in the morning, I thank him again for returning it to me. Is that crazy? Because that's Jewish thought. Now watch here. Everyone's heard of the Kabbalah, right? And oh, be careful of it. Uh, you into it already. The question is, how deep are you into it? Anytime you talk about the spirit realm, you're into Kabbalah. It's mysticism. What did Paul say? I tell you a simple fact. No, what did he say? I tell you a mystery. Implying this is something that is not going to make full sense in this plane, but it exists at the same time in a different plane, and it affects you. You all understand how one-way valve works, right? Pressure from one side opens it, pressure from the other side closes it. You can't go have it both ways. Think of the supernatural realm like that one-way valve. They can push through to us. We can't as easily push through to them. Why does God say in Deuteronomy and all that, don't do these things? Don't do. He doesn't say, don't waste your time because it's not real. He says, don't do it. But can we exercise the same power and authority over that realm as they can over us? No, not yet, not fully. Unless you stay within the realm of what God has allowed. So in the Old Testament, not a lot of that was allowed. In the New Testament, Jesus does empower his apostles to have that kind of power. Does it mean everyone has it? No. And you shouldn't play with what you don't know what you're playing with. Okay, another angle. That's another picture of Shiva. Look at the end. And look at Dr. Strange's end. Okay. What does this tell you? Is Dr. Strange really an original idea from Marvel's creators? They're using supernatural realities here. And then the very famous reality, who knows where this is standing? <laughs> this is standing in, in Geneva, CERN. 
You all know what CERN is, Large Hadron Collider. What are they trying to do? If you imagine the universe as a tapestry, they are literally trying to undo the stitches to see what it's made up of. They're literally trying to break apart the fabric of the universe. That's what they're doing. And the irony is I think at times they're getting it right. So what do you think would happen if you actually could undo the fabric of this dimension of reality? You'd actually just be opening a door to another reality. Guess what Shiva's name is? Is a god of, of gates, of dimensions. He is the picture of chaos. And out of chaos comes order. So he dances the dance. If you look at this, a Shiva statue has to be perfectly um, in equilibrium. It's weight. It's full weight rests on that foot. So it's perfectly balanced or it wouldn't stand. That's the image that it's showing too. So it's showing that balance between chaos and order as well. But he's the gateway God. The portals. Yeah. It's talking about, now watch this. I haven't been there to see it happen, but I'm going to tell you what I've heard is that at times when the Large Hadron Collider has been switched on and some things have gone on, now don't quote me, I'm just telling you what supposed witnesses, I can't confirm this at the moment, if I should ever get enough fundraising into RBS, I'd love to go to the LHC myself and go and speak to people, because I will. Um, they say that when this has happened, there's been strange noises and events, and they've spotted strange creatures walking around. Do I think that's crazy? No, I think that sounds about spot on. Underground, where the Large Hadron Collider is, there's been evidence of strange screens put up with Sanskrit and other ancient languages on it that some people are assuming are prayers to the gods that they are, besides science, trying to communicate with. Yeah. You do know that you do know the definition of occultism, right? It's just to conceal what's really being done, but you do it in and the more you can get away with in front of people, the more powerful the, the occult experience is. So to parade things in public and people not know what's being paraded in front of them. Now why do you think Shiva stands in Geneva, Switzerland over there? Why why is it standing over there? Supposedly to show the connection that um Geneva and Switzerland have always had with India. By the flowers. You want to tell me when you're trying to break apart the fabric of the universe and then you give a God whose purpose was the gatekeeper to that portal, that's coincidence. We should all believe that's just pure coincidence. The... The the bowl um, arch, yeah, that that's also will represents the idea of it, definitely. Um, there was that. What was that huge tunnel in Europe that was opened with all that very that even mainstream media was like, what is going on? Yeah, yeah, it's not. It's literal. We're having the rebirth of pagan culture coming back. But don't worry, the Christians have got your back. They're going, to redeem Christ they're going to redeem Christmas. Okay, so there we go. You've got Dr. Strange in that sense. The teaching of... Mm. It's... Yeah. 
it, it, it represents some of the cultural elements from Eastern mysticism and that. And you see, if you watch the Doctor, Doctor Strange movie, he does a lot, whole lot of others too. You're going to see it now. I'm going to show it to you. The teaching of John the Immerser, with its urgent emphasis on repentance, had already presented the potential downside of the gospel message. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The axe is already laid at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clear his threshing floor. He will gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. The implication of John's teaching, and Yeshua's subsequent teaching, is that if the generation failed to repent, they would not only forfeit the kingdom, they would enter an apocalyptic period of judgment. All Yeshua's early teachings are driven by an effort to prevent that outcome. His parables, his ethical sayings, and his instructions about obtaining the kingdom attempt to convey to the Jewish people of his generation how they might escape the coming wrath and enter the Messianic era. Many thousands did repent, and of them many hundreds became disciples of the rabbi from Nazareth. Many even threw in their lot with him, believing him to be the promised Messiah, son of David, who would surely usher in the kingdom that his teaching promised would come. Okay, so note, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. In other words, what does this imply? There's an option here. can happen or it might not happen. What do I teach about prophecy? It can go two ways or more until it can only go one way. When you push it far enough down the road, it'll only go one way. Um, again, I'm going to suggest, and I mean, this sounds like punting myself now, but that's not what I mean. Jesus in Context, my book, lays that out as clearly as I think it can be laid out to show you that Jesus' ministry is divided into at least two portions. I'm planning to stay versus, oh my word, now I have to go. And the language and all of that. And you do realize if I'm right, that means every telling of the gospel outside of that is actually a little bit faulty. Ah, but they get Jesus. Okay. And when they can't learn more and they're blocked because of that simple anti-quantum physics kind of version you've given them, they can't go further, then what? What if that version is the reason why the birds can take the seed away from those hearts? You get what I'm saying? We know Satan isn't sitting back, oh, no, guys, we can't touch that when they got the gospel. Shucks, we didn't get there in time. They're going to look to destroy whatever they can. Just a, also, just a thought. Jeremiah, I mean, the prophets were always sent to warn. And if the people had actually listened, they wouldn't have been exile. There would have been salvation. They kept speaking salvation beforehand for the sake of avoiding what's coming. So Israel would have been saved from, oh my word, it would have been 12 tribes. Okay. When we get to the time of um, uh, Esther, Purim, why did Purim happen? Purim happened because one guy wasn't killed by Saul. That sounds like a big effect for 
not listening to one. So you want to tell me that hundreds of years later, Israel almost gets wiped out because one man wasn't killed. No, 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 no. Bring in the Calvinist. We need to get saved here now. Because the nice thing about being Calvinist is you've got no responsibility. You're either awesome or you're dead. Either God likes you or you were just made because he's the boy with that magnifying glass burning you into oblivion. I don't know who I feel more sorry for, Calvinists or Jehovah's Witnesses that might just not make it because that 144,000 clickers ticked over. Okay, from Korah Digest, which I love reading. Why is there Shiva, God of Destruction, statue on Cern's front lawn? Okay, so let's just get to the part that matters most. Notice what I've underlined, parallel universe, multiverse, wormholes. That's what they're telling you about. His time travels through many parallel universes, the simple concept we humans don't live nor die. We just appear in many universes at what at the same time in different dimensions. Okay, So this is explaining some of Hindu philosophy. But notice what they talk about, parallel. Do you think that's all made up? Do you think there aren't other dimensions of reality? It's a nice story to believe that Genesis 6 is only talking about Seth's sons versus um, Seth and Shem. It's a nice idea. It's a nice idea to believe that angels did not come and have sex with women, that they did not come to pollute the gene pool in creation. It's nice. It's a safe option, but it's not the right option. Yeshua of Nazareth came declaring the good news message, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The meaning of his message was straightforward and obvious to every pious Jew. The messianic era is about to begin. What does it mean if the messianic era is about to begin? Now, why do Christians get nervous again? Because of their misunderstanding of the gospel, their misunderstanding of the spirit coming, the misunderstanding of everything, when you tell them Jesus could have stayed, you know that's the main reason they don't like that idea? They think they would be stuffed. Because if Jesus stayed, he didn't go to a cross, therefore I can't be saved. How ridiculous. It's that yellow line that no one wants to get off. Like it's just too much. And you know why it's dangerous? You are undoing God's covenants when you're saying that. For the sake of your own salvation in a small universe that you're living in, that is according the gospel according to you, you can't accept that God can redeem in any way he wants to. We spoke again in the car. I think, Amanda, you were in the car when we said this. What if Adam apologized and repented for his action? What if Eve apologized and repented for her action? But neither of them did. If they repented, this would all look different. We'd still be, yeah, if you were meant to be born, you're meant to be born. But it wouldn't have played out the way it did. See, and again, so people read into it, oh, no, it had to be that way. Really? So God tells them what not to do, even though they're going to do it. And like, that's all. Again, I'm thinking this sounds like a Calvinist session again. Because like it had to happen. No, it doesn't. When there's not an option, you don't give people an option, do you? So Revelation says, in the new millennia, 
Yeshua is coming down, okay? And then the whole apocalypse thing where the Satan, the three spirits, like frogs, go and gather the people. So we could have done away with this if the Jewish people had heard and understood Yeshua is here to stay. So the new millennia would have been a reality then. And then they would have gone out because it says the nations will come, the 70 nations will come to give tribute to him. Then after a thousand years, Satan will be raised again, brought out of prison again, and then he will deceive others. And then the, the final thing will happen. So this would have happened already. And we would still be saved because then the Jewish people would have gone out and we would have come and those who believed, oh my word, okay. <laughs> you said, <laughs> um, like Amanda said, and you said, we would still be born, we would still carry on, but the difference is when we're born, we are already saved, like they say, because there'll be no sin, because he's ruling. So we'll just carry on, and then, then it will be that Christian idea of everything's nice and happy. Okay. If, if things worked out properly the way they must, and the millennium started, and you were meant to be born as Sam, with whatever qualities you have, whatever you are, you would have been born either into the same family or different family, but you would have been born, and you would have had the option as a Gentile to bow your knee to this Messiah in Israel, or to not to. If you didn't, by the time you reach 600 years old, you'd probably, well, if you died by 600, you'd be considered young, as they say. If at 100, by 100, you'd still not chosen to follow the right Messiah, you'd be cursed and irreversible. Yeah, they would be because they, well, we can see that there is going to be. The choice issue is still there. And believe it or not, people are still going to choose to go against him. So if you think gold dust and whatever yet today makes a difference, they're going to see Jesus ruling and reigning from Israel, from Jerusalem, and they are still going to turn against him. There we go. We've got 2,000 years of history that never needed to happen. You are living in a time and place that didn't have to happen. See, now again, if you make the gospel about you, then no, it has to happen this way because I have to be and I have to be you and whatever I am. The demons could say, oh, you had to judge us because, well, that's a logical thing for him to do. If he's here, it means. So now let's go to Peter. And how many pastors, I would say, how dumb Peter was for wanting to set up tabernacles for Elijah, Jesus, and Moses. Meanwhile, no, you the idiot. You see, Peter understands, if I can make these guys stay, the millennium is coming. And he's right. Do you know what's sad? Guess what those two witnesses had to say to him? You realize that there's not another option now. The options have fallen away. We are to testify as witnesses that you have to die now. Sad, eh? How sad is it? It's kind of like you've got until 12 o'clock tonight to redeem that winning lotto ticket. And at 12.01, you've realized you've won. 
but it's too late. That ticket's worth nothing now. Emmanuel, you want the summary? Do you know what? I said this to Nandi on Thursday again, I think it was. The summary is God bound himself in a covenant that he couldn't get out of with Israel before Israel had the chance to screw it up. So before we even got to screw it up, he permanently bound himself so that the conditions of the covenant are not based on Israel, but on God's faithfulness, not on Israel's faithfulness. Hosea the prophet had to marry a prostitute to become a living example of what Israel is doing to God. So God says to him, you're going to marry a whore that will get out of your bed and go and sleep with other men and you will keep on taking her back because that I am you as the prophet and Israel is Goma. You, They are. And for whose sake do you think that is? It's not for Israel's sake. It's for all mankind's sake. So this fear of, oh, Jesus didn't die on the cross. There's no salvation. No, no. There was always going to be salvation. How was up for grabs until it wasn't up for grabs, until there was no alternative option. Now, I said that Marvel likes to present the gospel in its own form. Watch this. Where'd he go? Four. Where'd he go? Steve? Things happening. Come on. 
rester avec quoi Feel so good. You're all right. I don't. I don't know what's happening. I don't know. I don't want to go. I don't want to go, sir. Please, please. I don't want to go. I don't want to go. What is this? What the hell is happening? Oh God. Still no word from Stark? No, not yet. We're watching every satellite on both hemispheres, but still nothing. What is it? Multiple bogeys over Wakanda. Same energy signature as New York? But ten times bigger. Tell Klein, we'll meet him at... Nick! Nick! They okay? There's no one here. Call control. Code red. Nick. Nope. Okay, so that was the end of Infinity Wars. And what do you notice? Two interesting things there. People start disappearing, which is an interesting event, right? So why are they disappearing theoretically here? Because Thanos has done the snap. He's got all the Infinity Stones. He controls the universe. He is, he's become supernaturally above everyone that he can change reality. So what has he done? He's changed reality where certain people were never born. So if you weren't born, you can't be there. So he's changed 
the universe, which is why they say, oh, no. An interesting Captain Marvel, Captain America, what does he say? Oh, God. Now, if you watch the full movie, you'll notice that Thanos says other things too. I'm going to start over. Thanos goes and lives in a garden. It's all very interesting, isn't it? Remember what I said about occultism? Taking what's real. Now think about this. Here's my question. If the rapture is not true, why has it been promoted in so many movies, including Marvel? I mean, the, the, the implication is so obvious of what's going on here. I have a hard time understanding and believing in the concept of hell. I always hear the word perish, and perish means total destruction. We go back to the soil, this whole hell fire and all that. You know, When I read the scriptures that I read, it was more of a parable or storytelling that that concept, I find it to be more Greek, Roman idea of their gods and hell and, you know, that whole concept. For me, perishing is just non-existence after that complete destruction i mean even when he spoke of harvesting the wheat and then he would destroy with that with fire it would come to a complete destruction and non-existence and the whole concept of eternal burning i don't know maybe i'm wrong it's a controversial topic i think mainly because christianity I said Christianity has good, had good use for an eternal place of burning so that you are scared into heaven just by not burning forever. Um, I'd incline to go to the side of it being eternal destruction myself too. Um, I think the picture that becomes built is the one of Gehenna, the, the rubbish dumps outside Jerusalem. I think that's the picture. The thing is this, though, there are certain elements that I don't want to spend a lot of time on because we haven't been given enough and it's not worth the argument. So what I say is the thing you need to worry about is being eternally separated from God. Whatever that should imply is not going to be good. Um, I worry if the only way I get you saved is you scared of hell. That's a very strange motivation. On the other side of the coin, the message implied potential bad news. If the kingdom was at hand, so was the eschatological judgment. The arrival of the kingdom meant the coming of the day of the Lord, a day of wrath and punishment for the wicked, and this explains why Yeshua prefaced the gospel message with the imperative commandment, Repent! He called on his generation to repent in order that they might receive the kingdom and not the wrath. Okay, so there again, it's clear. And this is in the gospel, you get this. This is in the gospel. That, so who was all those warnings directed to? You? It's directed to the generation that got the Messiah. Does that make sense? How different does that put your proximity to that story? I think it's necessary to respect that proximity. Because if you don't, and you start claiming things said there applies to you, you're twisting the gospel. Even if you don't mean to, you are. Now, I'm not going to sit and say how far you can twist it before you're in trouble, because, again, it's beyond my realm of understanding to try and do that. But I'm just going to leave you with a worry. Do you want to twist it? Blowing my mind. Excuse me? But does your friend often do that? Strange. We all right? 
back, Jeremy. Hey, what was that? Going forward in time to view alternate futures, to see all the possible outcomes of the coming conflict. How many did you see? 14,605. How many did we win? Okay, now if you saw the, the, his hand, that's a typical satanic symbol. That is a satanic symbol, and he's in a trance. You can see it. So he's gone through all the alternatives of what could happen. He goes into the future. That's not possible. It's theorized as possible, but what is the one thing we have no control over? Time. If we could, it makes us God. Do angels and demons have control over time? No. That is what God has on his own. And isn't it interesting that the gospel is contained in what we call the Moedim, and the Moedim means appointed times. And you just show up. You don't get to get creative, like I say. You see how this works. The one thing is time. Um, I love using this analogy that I think I heard from Ray van der Laan, where he says, in the beginning... God created and man filled. In the tabernacle, God says to man, you create and I will fill. But who's in charge? He's in charge. Okay, some of you might recognize this movie. Did anyone watch this movie? Contact, Jodie Foster. So she's an astronomer that works for SETI, which is looking for extraterrestrial life. And she's convinced there's something out there. She's an atheist, but she believes in aliens, though, or that there is other life outside there, outside the planet. Um, this becomes one of the first movies in 97 when we matriculated to start pushing the alien story mainstream for us to educate us about this idea, to get us warmed up to the idea of it. What would have happened if the generation had heeded Yeshua's message? If Israel had repented and accepted Yeshua of Nazareth as King Messiah, how would events have played out? Did not the Messiah have to suffer and die? If he had been received as king by the Jewish people, what would have become of his atoning sacrifice? How would we have found forgiveness for sins in the shedding of his blood? What would the fate of the Gentile nations have been? These questions, and similar problems, keep many Christian theologians from believing that Yeshua's offer of a kingdom was genuine. Theologians prefer to teach that Yeshua offered a spiritual kingdom instead of a physical, actual kingdom on earth. As early as the 3rd century, Christian theologians scoffed at the so-called carnal Jewish believers for misunderstanding the prophecies about the kingdom. By and large, Christian teaching maintains that the restoration of the Davidic kingdom in Jerusalem predicted by the prophets finds its fulfillment in the establishment of the Christian church and the afterlife in heaven, not in a literal fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. Christianity is not phased really by what Jews think, is basically what he's saying. And that's daft. Okay, so 
again, Jodie Foster in this movie, as I say to you, she becomes someone who wants to study this and she's reaching out. She wants to know what's out there, which is all okay. I mean, that kind of intrigue and interest is, is okay. But what is this actually promoting that has come full circle and really is prominent now? The absolute desire to find other beings. It's, we are thoroughly educated now about that as humanity. <laughs> Occultism, again, like I said, this is out of that school of the occult. If you understand the history of Hollywood, I don't have any of you know the history of Hollywood. You will not believe it. Let me give you the summary. Do you know Hollywood's built on Satanism? Not indirectly, directly. It's literal, it's, it's history. Um, so that's what's interesting. Now, <clears throat> this whole movie is really a powerful, it is a good movie. It's very powerful. And it, you, she makes sacrifices. She gives up good opportunities just to sit and listen to the sky waiting for a message to be sent to us. That creates anticipation that has taken on a lot of power in the time and the day and age that we find ourselves in. Two things I want you to see in this picture. What do you think they are? The obelisk that becomes the obvious picture of paganism, of Nimrod, of of all of that. But what's the other thing that's conveniently in the picture? I see Shiva again, the similar um, chaos arms outstretched. Okay, there there can be that, but look at the look at the water. What do you see in the water? Do you see the reflection? As above, so below. Mm. And that does link to Shiva, the balance of everything, the good and evil. They could have placed these two anywhere to have this conversation. Why there? Because there's meaning. There's purpose in everything they do. Now, in the story, they get the blueprint from the aliens of how to bring, to build a structure that will allow one human being to enter their realm. One, only one. That's an interesting thing when one is chosen. Huh? Look at the structure at the back. What does it look like? It looks like an atomic particle. It's implying quantum physics. If you study the psychology of movies, you'd be scared to ever watch TV again to realize what's being done to you and implied to you without you knowing it. So in this picture, uh, she gets, she's always this humble character, just wants to learn. She's pure and innocent. And, and as the protagonist of the movie, she's an atheist, which is interesting. Eh? The good person's an atheist. Um, yeah, it's her boss that ends up riding rough, roughshod over her to get the position, to get the opportunity to, to go and do the work. And ironically, okay, so we get the whole scene, you know, the whole American is going to save the world, of course. Becomes a picture of NASA's base, you know. You can see what they're trying to set up here. Okay, you see him making his way to the, to the craft to be taken in. And notice this, this thing doesn't fly up. It cuts through on a quantum level. You know what happens next? This guy is a terrorist that blows up that 
he plants explosives on that device to stop mankind from finding its family, the aliens, right? So he's the bad guy. What's interesting about the look of this bad guy? He seems to be a picture of Jesus in Revelation with the same hair and everything. Is this supposed to imply that Jesus is the one blocking us from reaching our potential? In Satanism, yes, that's literally the story. Am I mistaken that he was a religious freak? I think so, yeah. So again, the hero is an atheist and the freak shows a religious guy. That just happens to be a bad picture of Jesus if you're to try and conceive of it as the European picture of Jesus. Is this coincidence? Occultism around us. The school of the occult. Also, yeah. yes. I'm sorry. He looks to me, I was just saying to Gary, he looks like the lead singer of Offspring, Dexter. Offspring was a very um, prestigious uh, rock group for a long time. Very influential. Probably so that too, pop culture image, for sure. I mean, it's not random. You can just imagine he's not meant to look normal. He's meant to look strange. You look at the response of the people in the background. I think this was the scene where the ship blows up. He looks accomplished and the people in the back, the black guy to the side looks in terrible turmoil over this, right? Because we've been stopped from our redemption. Interesting theme, eh? Okay. For most theologians, however, the alternative to this view is unthinkable. It seems impossible to suppose that things could have been otherwise and that Yeshua could have literally fulfilled the prophecies by bringing a real physical kingdom in the first century. After all, if Yeshua's generation had repented and received him as king, how would he have become the suffering sacrifice for the sins of mankind? Okay, so they're again theologians, and it's a fair worry. If you know nothing, then that's a good thing to be worried about. If you are ignorant and disrespecting the full story. Rabbi Yehoshua ben Levi took this interpretation a step further by contrasting two apparently contradicting verses. Daniel 7.13 says, Behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. And Zechariah 9.9 says, Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Rabbi Yehoshua said, It is written, And behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming, while elsewhere it is written, Humble and mounted on a donkey. Is the Messiah coming with the clouds? Or is he coming on a donkey? Rabbi Yehoshua explained, If the generation merits redemption, Messiah will come with the clouds of heaven. If they do not, he will then come humble and mounted on a donkey. Yehoshua ben Levi based his ideas about two possible dates for the redemption on a traditional reading of a verse in Habakkuk, Habakkuk 2.3. The third person masculine form of the verbs and pronouns in the Hebrew of Habakkuk 2.3 can be read either him or it. Judaism reads it as a prediction about the coming of the Messiah. And Maimonides based his foundational principle of faith 
in Messiah on this verse. Here's the verse, Habakkuk 2.3. The vision is yet for the appointed time. He hastens toward the goal, and he will not fail. Though he tarries, wait for him, for he will certainly come. He will not delay. These interpretations fit neatly with the eschatology at work in the Gospels. Yeshua came preaching repentance in order to hasten the redemption and to try to prevent the impending doom that hung over the generation. He was on a rescue mission to try to avert the second destruction of Jerusalem and the current exile. Messiah could come, so the Messiah can come in one of two ways. If the people are worthy, he comes in the clouds. If they're not, he comes on a donkey. He came on a donkey, but what did he say was coming? He's coming on the clouds. So which one is it? Yes. Quantum physics. Doesn't have to make perfect sense here, but we see that he chose to play both options out, or we're waiting for the second option to play out. But who's it dependent on? That generation. This generation will not pass away. Which generation? The generation that is found worthy. When Jesus said it, it could have happened then. He didn't mean you have to see it. The generation that is found worthy will see it. He rides in on a donkey after it's already been declared that Israel is now going to have to, this generation will have to be cut off. Isn't it said after the ascension, the way you saw him, that's the way he's going to come back. So on the clouds of glory. So if I go back to to Daniel and, and Zechariah, the, those prophecies, can I say that Israel was then given a choice in the beginning to either see him on a donkey or in the clouds of glory? And now that he's come with a donkey, we've only now he's only now going to come on the clouds of glory. So he will only come now when we are worthy. He's not going to give us the second. So when Israel, that generation of Israel is worthy. See, and that's important because it sounds terrible, but all Gentiles can do is help Israel get worthy. So in the beginning, Israel had that choice. They don't have that choice now. They need to be worthy. Otherwise, the deal is off. Now watch the point two. The two ways that he comes, is it also relates to judgment that is coming again. When he comes again, it's to judge permanently. Now, when Paul says that Gentiles have been grafted in and you should be blessed, because the judgment that had to have come at the end of the millennium is absolute. There's just destruction to come. So the time that's been bought for Gentiles is a bit of a good thing. Does that make sense? It's delaying the end judgment that cannot be reversed. So the story is not that, oh, and this is our Christian's logic, Oh, if Jesus didn't die on the cross, all Gentiles had to go down. No, the point is the judgment has been delayed, and that's a good thing for you. You get what I'm saying? Because if all of that happened, it would speed up the process of the final judgment to come. But now all that's left is the final judgment to come in any case. Okay. Now, what did I say about quantum physics? There's more than one option. In the movie, the thing's destroyed. You're expecting Jodie Foster to go up in it. No, she doesn't. The guy that jumps in ahead of her, you get frustrated. He ends up getting killed now because it blows up. Ah, oh, crap movie. No, plot twist. 
what happens? A rich um, banker, rich businessman, a.k.a. Illuminati, if you ask me, tells you, no, don't worry. We suspected something like this might happen. So what you don't know is we actually created two of these machines. See what's going on? The two versions of what could happen. Notice the location is different to the first one. Alternative possibility. Quantum theory. It's like extra layered with all kinds. We're dealing with quantum theory and there what happens is uh, alternative possibility. You know what happens in quantum theory? The idea is that there's the two opposite ends of the same thing. Again, as above, so below. The location clearly looks to be Arctic or something like that. You know what's interesting about that? That's where a lot of belief about incursions of aliens have been. Now, is that just coincidence or are they playing and having some fun with us? In this audio discussion, we will explore a few basic ideas from Jewish eschatology regarding the coming redemption. Then we will combine those ideas with the messianic predictions of the prophets and several telling hints from first century history to create a fictional narrative. The narrative offers an alternative ending to the Gospels, one that never transpired, but potentially could have transpired 2,000 years ago. See, it could have happened. He's telling you, this is fictional for obvious reasons. It didn't happen, so you have to call it fictional. Okay, so here we go. Yeah, you see her in that machine. She's about to take off, and she's going to go and get to the other place. You have, yeah, all the people looking on in anticipation, of course, excitement, hope, and look what it looks like when it happens, because you're going into the quantum realm, literally, and it represents itself as a burst of light, which is interesting in itself, isn't it? That basically opens a portal in that sense. The concept of hastening the redemption was still present in the minds of the apostles as they instructed their disciples. They called their disciples to repent and conduct themselves with holiness and godliness, as it says in Second Peter 3, verse 12, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God. Interesting. So watch. Did the apostles hold to Jewish writings outside of the Bible? Well, clearly, because they think they can hasten the coming of Messiah. And note who says this. Paul, write, Peter, writing to you to Jews. Who can hasten the coming of Messiah mainly? A generation of Jews. Can Christians read that and claim it for themselves? No. It's misreading ideas like this and then, oh wait, let's just get the whole world saved. Who told you that's going to happen? Really? Where? Where do they, how many millions of rands and dollars around the world are being spent on this idea of we just get to those Aborigines in the furthest end of the Australian outback, Jesus has to come back. It's tough. Do you get that? It's not going to happen. Watch this. If Jesus sits down on earth, do you think it's hard for him to get to them? But that mislogic of over comes, it's all over. No, it's not all over. You see it? You see what's going on around us? And this is happening around us. 
Okay, so there we go. We see the portal opens and she finds this clearly otherworldly space she goes into. And she ends up meeting what I think, I think it's her father. Um, and man, they talk like it's like it's a freaking, what do you call it? Church of Scientology mixed with, I don't know what, all convention. And that's a picture of a gospel, don't you think? It's a hope. Imagine this. If you start believing stories like this, and this is not by far the only representation of this. This is a religion on its own. Imagine today if you're waiting for aliens. We all set up for it. There's enough education out there for this. No, I was just trying to think on the end of the Tanuga. I watched this one quite a little bit. Um, doesn't he also, after he chats to it, when he's walking away, turn into this beam of light, like a heavenly body, his mm-hmm. heavenly body, so, something yeah. like that. So they're basically taking out of Revelation and trying to give you an unrealistic but it's a great it's a version of a gospel and if alien theory and all of that is coming to be part of the deception it's like it's perfectly set up so here's my question if believers in jesus are not the ones telling these elements of what's coming in the end times picture what hope is there for people to protect some from a deception right how how do you do it Okay, so quantum scripture, I want to give you, there's more than just this. John 8, verse 56 to 58. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old. Have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Does that sound like it belongs in our yellow line of, of time? Abraham saw my day, he rejoiced. I'm telling you, even though I'm not even 50, before Abraham was, I am. There's more than one reality that's at play. And rules that don't apply as simply as you think. Okay, then John 1, verse 14 and 15. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we've seen his glory, the glory as of the only son of the father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out. This was he of whom I said, who comes after me, ranks before me, because he was before me. (laughs) This is quantum gospel again. There's other dimensions to this that you have to be aware of. The gospel story indicates that history had reached a point at which the final redemption and the advent of the kingdom was a real possibility. If this were not the case, then John the Immerser and Yeshua of Nazareth misled people by proclaiming the good news about the kingdom. If the generation of Yeshua did not have the potential to actually experience the beginning of the Messianic era, then the kingdom of heaven was not actually at hand. John and Yeshua called upon their generation to repent so that they might reverse the impending doom of judgment and enter the Messianic era. But at a certain point in the Master's ministry, the message changed. See that? It changed at a certain... And if John and Jesus were not suggesting there's an alternate, they lied. How do you offer something that's not available right then and there? And guys, this is in your gospel. Always been there. Not anything new. Now watch this one. This interpretation explains Yeshua's proclamation of the kingdom and his mission to the last generation before the end of the Second Temple era. He came to attempt to hasten the redemption. If the nation had repented, 
the generation might have attained the kingdom and the revelation of the Messiah, as it says, I, the Lord, will hasten it. Since the Messiah found them unworthy, however, the redemption would come later, as it says, in its time. This is the meaning of the miracle of the withered fig tree as well. It says, he went to see if perhaps he would find anything on it, and when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. Mark 11.13 See what's going on here. Jesus is moving to Jerusalem. What does he do on his way? Oh, there's a fig tree. Let's see if there's fruit. The disciples know. In, in Israel, the fig tree, or I imagine anywhere in the world, when you see leaves, it implies that there is fruit. So Jesus goes up to the fig tree and expects fruit. He doesn't find fruit, so he curses it. Now watch what the declare now and kingdom now gospel people say. That's what they get out of this. Oh, you can curse fig trees. You can curse things and it happens. Our words have life. No, no, no. It was a picture of Israel ahead of time to hasten the coming of Messiah. You cannot declare anything. In fact, you know what? I'm going to buy a fig tree or any type of tree and ask them to curse it and watch it wither and die there. And if it does, then they can declare things. The whole picture is set up. I'm walking to Jerusalem. He has a fig tree, the representation of Israel. Have you got fruit ahead of time so that I can stay and be your Messiah? No, you don't, so now you're cursed. This generation is now cursed. It was a symbolism of the Messiah. So let me ask the question I asked last week. You would all claim you're a follower of Jesus. You're a disciple of your Messiah. Have you ever heard the fig tree story before? That you know it, get it right from the start. So you're a disciple with a lot to learn. Harsh, eh? But, and now compare the people who know less than you that will declare more boldly than you even that they're disciples. No, you're not. You're not a disciple if you don't know what your Messiah is saying, what your rabbi is saying. You're not a disciple. You're a follower. You're not a disciple. Okay, Quantum Sabbath. I'm going to read from, uh, <clears throat> what's his name again? Abraham Heschel. There's a realm of time where the goal is not to have, but to be. Not to own, but to give. Not to control, but to share. Not to subdue, but to be in accord. Life goes wrong when the control of space, the acquisition of things of space, becomes our sole concern. What did I tell you? There's a separation between time and space. Okay, Sabbath is now. Sabbath is not about mainly about getting, doing, whatever. Sabbath is about resting. Sabbath is about entering the quantum spiritual realm. You get that? You get to mimic it for 24 hours a week. It is difficult because we want to keep things in our own space. We want to do things. The Sabbath is the presence of God in the world, open to the soul of man. God is not in things of space, but in moments of time. What did I tell you? You can manipulate space. You can manipulate matter. You cannot manipulate time. And in time is where you find God. 
And in whose times do you find him? Right. And then what happens is Christians overzealously say, oh, you see the tabernacle, the temple, none of that matters. That was the servant of time. Why does Jesus tell the apostles, do not leave Jerusalem until the spirit comes? Because God decides how those relationships between time and space and matter come together. If matter doesn't matter, then why did the Uzzah die when he touched the, the ark? It's because God's presence was in that ark. So if God declares that time and space holy, when Moses comes to the burning bush, he's walked there before with sandals and everything was fine. Why now? Because when God enters it, it changes. You see, today is Saturday for everybody else. For God, it's Sabbath. Some of us are taking our shoes off, others aren't. Follow what I'm saying? Is there not a midrash about the Holy of Holies as well? That Because it was so small, a person couldn't actually fit in there. But once you'd gone in there, it was actually time and space that didn't matter. You were in the presence of God. The dimensions of the Holy of Holies doesn't make sense in time and space because you don't have enough space for that priest to be in. And yet, when he entered the Holy of Holies, he walked around freely. It's quantum mechanics. It's quantum reality. God's presence takes that space out of the realm of this dimension. That's all it's doing. Maybe it's not relevant, but I sort of understand what what God was teaching Elijah with the sound of the lightning and the, you know, the noise. And suddenly he spoke to him in a still small voice. I kind of see that picture teaching him that the, 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 the noise sort of distracts us from when he's really, truly talking to us. And I think that's where we're at in this world where we're kept so busy with so unnecessary things. We never really hear him speak to us. We never really get into his presence. And again, God does not need our help to get creative. He just needs you to show up. Yeah, you are showing up. Why are you here today? You're here because you want to learn something about God. You're giving up what other people do most of their life's work during when they're not at work. You're giving this up. It would be crazy if the Spirit did nothing with us. Now, please remember there's two ways to measure what's going on here. Physically, that you can cognitively know you've learned something or feel something, and that's great. You know where's the greater work? Whatever the Spirit's doing this with that you don't even know. You follow what I'm saying? See, we're so prone to measure what we can measure that we don't pay much attention to what we can't measure. Again, back to the quantum idea. Time, which is eternity in disguise. I love this. Time is eternity in disguise. Eternity is the absence of time. You can't measure time, eternity in time, actually. That's why Abraham Eshel can say it's eternity in disguise. Eternity is not a long time. It's the complete absence of time. Now, why in Revelation does it speak about the heavenly bodies falling away? Because those heavenly bodies tell time. It's the picture of transitioning from time to eternity. And yet, do you know what today represents? 
eternity. Time would be Sabbath to Sabbath. Eternity would be Sabbath. That's a bumper sticker one. I like that. Okay, I've saved this one. I'm going to try and read it now. I shouldn't have used this font with my eyes going the way they are. Shabbat comes with its own holiness. We enter not simply a day, but an atmosphere. This is him speaking about his father. I guess my father cites the Zohar. The Sabbath is the name of God. We are within the Sabbath rather than the Sabbath being within us. For my father, the question is how to perceive that holiness. Not the how much to observe, but how to observe. Strict adherence to the laws regulating Sabbath observance doesn't suffice. What? A Jew doesn't think the law is everything? The goal is creating the Sabbath as a foretaste of paradise. The Sabbath is a metaphor for paradise and a testament of God's presence in our prayers. We anticipate a messianic era that will be a Sabbath. And each Shabbat prepares us for that experience. Watch this part. Unless one learns how to relish the taste of Sabbath, one will be able to, unable to enjoy the taste of eternity in the world to come. Can I read that again? Unless one learns how to relish the taste of Sabbath, one will be unable to enjoy the taste of eternity in the world to come. It was on the seventh day that God gave the world a soul, and the world's survival depends on the holiness of the seventh day. The task, he writes, becomes how to convert time into eternity. See that? Convert time into eternity. Most people would assume that's one form of time to another. How to fill out what? How to fill out time with spirit. Six days a week we wrestle with the world. Bringing profit from the earth. On the Sabbath we especially care for the seed of eternity planted in the soul. The world has our hands, but our soul belongs to someone else. And we've got one more audio. Not long after the death of John the Immerser, Yeshua realized that the generation would not repent. He began to pronounce woes upon the villages in which he had performed his miracles. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the miracles had occurred in Tyre and Sidon, which occurred in you, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. And you, Capernaum? You will not be exalted to heaven, will you? You will descend to Hades. For if the miracles had occurred in Sodom, which occurred in you, it would have remained to this day. He commenced predictions of a coming calamity. He took his disciples out of the Galilee, and it says in Mark 8.31, He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. Moses and Elijah appeared to him on the Mount of Transfiguration, and they confirmed the decision, further revealing to him the details of his coming suffering. They were speaking of his departure, it says in Luke 9.31, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. After receiving this message from Moses and Elijah, Yeshua began to explain forthrightly to his disciples, it says in Mark 9.12, the Son of Man will suffer many things and be treated with contempt. And it says in Mark 9.31, He was teaching his disciples and telling them, The Son of Man is to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he has been killed, he will rise three days later. The disciples did not understand these predictions. They failed to comprehend his words 
because they still anticipated the imminent arrival of the final redemption and the messianic era. See that? There's two parts to what should have been, what did happen. And and if you want to follow Jesus, it's your responsibility. Like I said now with the fig tree, and we can go other examples. Yes, it's harsh, but I'm going to be straightforward. If you don't understand the parables that your Messiah spoke, your rabbi spoke, then should you maybe in whispered tones claim to be a disciple until where you do learn more about what he... And imagine if people took it that seriously. What quality of learning and, and character and representation would there be? Much greater, right? Does anyone notice that the gospel has now taken on more meaning again? Like we've done this a few times and now again it's like, well, I thought we had it down. And now you come and do this. You can you can assume the obvious. There's more of this to come. Do you know what's ironic? Have you noticed with all the sound clips I've given you, we haven't even yet gotten to his actual example of what it could have looked like. So we'll get to that. I couldn't put all of it together. It's just too much. Break it up. We'll get to that. And then we're going to get into what's actually going on in Revelation and what does that mean? And then we're going to get to what does this gospel actually look like? How does the gospel, how should it be preached, knowing that we are expecting him to return? And you know what? The more we do that, the less it's going to sound like what you hear in church. The less it's going to sound like any other version of the gospel from any missionary organization you can go join. And that's a worry. Okay, Gary, are you online? Yes. Yep. Okay, do your work. Okay. Um, we'll go to Kathy. Yes, hello, thank you. Um, somewhere it says um, in, in, the word, in the Bible uh, that everyone will hear about Jesus before he comes again, doesn't it? You know why that why that would be impossible, Kathy, is because even in the very second that Jesus comes, someone's being born. Or... Oh, that's right. Yeah. Ah. So that's just a, a that's just a Christian construct which actually just uh, helps to do the Christian story, which is an alternative to the real gospel. It's a nice idea because remember, if Christianity. That's why Christianity is driven to get to the ends of the earth, assuming again that yeah. 1 verse 8 applies to Christians, which it doesn't. Ironically, that prophecy was fulfilled within 10 years of the church being Jewish in Israel. So that changed a lot. Now, does it mean I'm saying people mustn't share the gospel? No, you can just get the right version. But what it definitely doesn't mean, I've said this before, that if every human being on the face of this earth that's not Jewish, got saved today, Jesus wouldn't come. Yet that's what the gospel, that's what the gospel that churches promote. So Kathy, on that basis, that logic that you just said now has to have that belief. And look, it's a, it's a nice belief to have. And if it was that simple, then the mission is simple. Then we must all get to the farthest place we can find until we bump into, into each other on the other side of the earth. And then we'll know we're done. Then we can just look up and wait. 
but that's obviously yeah. not at all what's going to happen or ever has been promised to happen either. Mm. Um, and also the other, oh, I thank God that I'm in this time. Could have been anywhere. And it, it, and even born and living in this circumstance that I'm in. Um, it could have, I could have been born in an Arabic country or something like that. So it really is God's choice in a way, isn't it? You where see, we, the, the thing is, Kathy, to, I know what you're saying, and you must be grateful for where you're born because where you're born is exactly where it should be for this time and space you're in. But remember, there are Arabs and other people who are finding Jesus in miraculous ways, therefore implying that everyone has an opportunity. What your opportunity looks like and what you do with it, that's the subjective, relative side of it. The fact that that's God right. wants no one to die is clear. That's obvious by what Jesus said to Nicodemus. We do not have absolute knowledge, though. So questions like what happens to the people sitting in the Amazon jungle, well, that's a useless question because you don't know who's sitting there. So you have no knowledge base of what's going on there but like you say the main point is where am i and what do i do with my opportunities that is a good thing to be grateful for i'm grateful for the many opportunities i've gotten to hear the gospel i'm grateful for the opportunity to experience it without fearing being bombed like people in Sri Lanka recently have experienced those are good things to be grateful for but we must never assume that everybody doesn't get an opportunity because that we have to assume that. We, we don't have a choice otherwise. Yeah. Um, the other comment was at the start, you said if Adam and Eve had repented, things would be different. But I can't really believe that because they've taken the fatal step, haven't they? They've gone to sin. They've introduced sin. So there had to be a way to get past sin if they'd said sorry say to god at the time that i don't believe that would have changed anything because they'd already taken that step well if we if we believe that jesus didn't have to die which is what we've already constructed there was other ways of salvation to come no one's questioning that they sinned the question of them sinning isn't the problem the question is what had to happen to redeem them and that yeah. has multiple opportunities. So the point is they, they didn't repent. That's, that's what sealed that deal. It wasn't whether or not God's capable of doing it another way. Um, and he was capable and he did, in fact, do it another way. Because if they were eternally damned, why not just let them get to the tree of life? He blocks them from the tree of life, implying, I can still take actions. He didn't just say, oh, guys, now be careful of that tree of life. He now literally pushes them out. It's a form of grace. It's a form of salvation in itself. Because otherwise, eternal damnation would have been sealed right there if they got to the other tree. Yeah. Um, so thank you. There's a lot to think about. I've got to tell you, when I was probably a teenager, I was scared of time because um, 
Oh, of course, I had the Catholic um, background, so I already had the guilt. But I was scared of, like, a minute has just gone and it's never to be retrieved. And it it was so scary. It was racing by, you know. Right, sure. And um, I just thank God now that I have peace and security right. in him. Yeah. So thank you for your teaching. It's absolutely marvellous and um, a lot to think about. And I like a lot of the Bible verses that you gave us. I've got them written down, so I'll be looking those up. Good. And um, truth is not relevant. We cannot manipulate time. Oh, yes, that's right. So thank you so much. Um, it was uh, very interesting and very thought-provoking. Okay. And there's always a privilege to be a part of it. And I just say, Lord, I don't know if you want me to talk to anyone about this. So you'll have to show me an opportunity. Right, amen. I you can trust that. You can trust that. Yeah. yeah, thank you. Okay, uh, Janet. Hi. I don't know if I should even begin here. I don't think I heard the phrase quantum physics um, other than by listening to and watching the Big Bang Theory. I mean, truly, I know nothing about that kind of thing, but anyway. Um, also, I'm definitely not a, a follower of that series of movies. In fact, I don't watch movies, period. So a lot of the time when you guys refer to things in a movie, I have got no idea what you're talking about. So I think the only thing that I really got from this and got it in abundance, and it's amazing how you do this, Darren, because every session... You are so right. The gospel gets added, not added onto, but it becomes so much richer. Right. And now I think for about the last month, I have started, started looking at the fact that, yeah, Jesus never really had to die. There were these other very definite reasons for why everything could have come right. And I think today again you showed that. And I think the biggest expression that I got out of the whole thing was that the hastening all in its time. Um, and that's really what we've got to think about. Right. Um, yeah, it was, it was wonderful. A little bit heavy for me, I must admit, but um, always very thought-provoking. And thank you very much. Okay. Okay. Um dead yes darren i think i'm in janet's league a lot of that was way over my head when it came to the movies and the themes and stuff but um i think i've read between the lines and i think it's just opened up a lot of more questions again uh, regarding the purposes of his death and his crucifixion and and all that you know and the fact that the kingdom could have been established. And, yeah, a lot of questions come out of it, but I'm sure you're going to address those as we go along further. Yeah. But um, very interesting. Thanks for that. Okay. Um, 
Yeah, nothing really from my end. It was mind-blowing. Um, I've always been fascinated with um, this sort of stuff, time and space. And um, One movie I really like is uh, Interstellar. I know it's a little bit wayward, but man, it really gets your mind stretched. You know? I think the, the the mistake we make as believers is trying to put ourselves on on an intellectual level with God, and that's yes. an absolutely impossible task. We must never forget right. that He is God. Time and space does not exist in His continuum. We are in His, and if we catch up to Him, you know, along the way, we're lucky. Right. Yeah, and I are both just very. I found tonight very interesting, actually. The whole subject is incredibly mind-blowing and, and actually too hard to comprehend. But that's why it's so fascinating to me. Because God is great and we cannot possibly get on the same level with him we would dream to. We can only, you know, yeah. Yes, our, our, ways, our ways are not his ways. It's as simple as that. But no, that, that's, uh, that was great, Darren. Very good. Um, that's it from the over, well, online people okay great let's move over to the studio audience yeah um just listening to you guys saying about mind blowing i literally saw amanda's mind blow now (laughs) you guys should have been here it was awesome um i think the thing that sticks out and and we need to put our heads on this is that um the whole, the whole thing about if Israel had got it right in the beginning and them not getting it right, basically the world would have turned to Israel and would have been given the choice to accept Jesus as Messiah, as the King of Kings, Lord of Lords, then already, without Christianity even coming into a picture. And now that Israel got it wrong we the nations have the audacity to try and claim that from what was already set set aside and i i think this is something that goes over our heads a lot of times so it's almost confirmation to to know that we aren't going crazy us as a little group that we are all actually doing something that 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 was set apart so yeah it's, it's just it's it's mind blowing to know that these choices that we had through through time like you say the different outcomes that we could have had it's yeah it's a little bit to grasp but i mean it's it's something that's that's out there and and yeah it just it's crazy but yeah that's 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 the one part that i that really stuck out for me yeah a lot was a lot was very mind-blowing um i think what sticking out for me a lot is that we whenever we hear this stuff and it's like i don't know that but like when amanda says or even in my head and everyone says like oh that first that makes sense with that verse oh that that's what paul was talking about oh that's what Isaiah was saying oh that's what it's like it's not exactly not trying to not adding anything new it's just we're getting explained something that's always been right there in the print and that's just what's mind blowing. It's like, oh, okay, this makes a lot of sense. And the whole time thing and the different alternatives, it's just, it's stuff we already knew, stuff that we 
you always see the prophets sometimes when they listen, they get saved. Sometimes they don't. Jonah gets upset when they actually do listen to and get repentance. So it's, it's just, it just gets more richer. It gets more deeper. And we always going to learn something new. So, yeah, thanks for that, Darren. Um, as a kid, I've always wanted to know why, like, um, why was the cross there and all of that? And isn't, wasn't there another option? And if, what's this now? If Judah didn't do this, then was this going to happen? And I've never gotten an answer from that. So it's nice to actually get an answer and to find out, like, the whole thing. So, yeah, thank you. The strangest thing is I was listening to some guy who's, he had a thing, a YouTube thing called Truth uh, is Stranger Than Fiction, something like that. And this guy goes into quantum physics and stuff. I never knew this topics. And I, for some reason, I don't know why I was listening to him over and over, week after week when he was trying to prove mysticism and that quantum physics, actually they're saying it's public education, but actually they're teaching you demonic stuff because then they're not taking and explaining it according to what god has said but they actually and people are moving from one dimension to another or one planet to another and he would like expose this whole thing and i didn't know why i was listening to this guy he is a believer so it was quite interesting that god was preparing me for this (laughs) but i also have been reading the word of god and you know it's like he sets the foundation and then you come and and then it's like a revelation of stuff you've been reading and he's joining everything together. And, you know, cause my question was, okay, if then quantum fix, physics is there, it can be all bad. Am I not understanding that we're speaking of spiritual realm? So what am I calling out to out there, you know, and the whole thing. And now CS Lewis, who's more probably too philosophical and probably not really where I am in terms of faith this stuff is starting to make, to also make sense that like now I, you know, it's all coming together and it's kind of, now I understand why God just exposes me to crazy. <laughs> it's not as crazy. Thank you. I've, it's every week. I'm just like, what's happening here? <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. For me is the whole story. Fun, fun, what if, what, uh, what if Adam and Eve really repent? Uh, so the whole thing changed there by Adam and Eve. Now God have made, must make other plans. And now it goes totally different way now as his plan was. Uh, yeah. And we're not questioning that what if, if we yeah. accept what Yeah, you have to accept now. But knowing the fact that there's other options, the value of it is not to say, ah, oh, we can come up with new ideas. There's actual other value. And over the next few weeks, we'll explore why it matters to know this. I didn't expect you to know it now. Just to put fuel the fact that there is a what if. Yeah. The whole story is what if. Oh, okay. <laughs> Sometimes when you read certain verses in the Bible, you just look at the literal meaning, like the fig tree, for example. You wouldn't think that it means something different. Fig tree is representing Israel or something like that. And then I listened to the one about um, Isaiah 60. The man also explained about the two scenarios of um, redemption. 
um, there's the, the one where the, the hastening of time and the other one is God's appointed time. And then really you don't even think about things like that. So now I don't know much about quantum physics, but I'm trying also to put pieces of the puzzle together here. And then also about literal meaning of verses. I also think a lot about the verse that says, um, Jesus will come like a thief in the night and you mustn't be found like naked or nude. Or Then I'm thinking, yeah, what if, you know, things like that. So I don't know if there's a literal or if there's a figurative, figuratively meaning to that verse as well. Yeah. And then what else? Yes, do not add to the scripture. Do not take away from the scripture. Do not twist the scripture. I think that's what I learned. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, guys, again, <clears throat> wow, what a mind-blowing session. Uh, it opens up a lot of possibilities and, 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 and come to think of it one way, <clears throat> that's why Moses would go ahead of time and says, there will be another prophet after me. You should actually listen to him. And, and, and it, it now makes sense that if, 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 if Israel heeded the message because Moses forewarns them and, 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 and instructs them, there's a prophet that you think I'm so, so well, but there's going to come a prophet after me. If you listen to him, that's it. That will seal it. If that generation heeded it, we would have entered the Messianic age at that moment in time. And, 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 and what actually transpired on the Mount of Transfiguration, where, 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 where God comes and he echoes to these three guys, this is my beloved son, listen to him. He was actually speaking to those three, because they were there in, 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 in that moment in time, uh, 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 grasping that he should listen to the Son of, the son of Man. And, 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 and this is, 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 is quite interesting in itself uh that that this uh quantum 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 gospel is, is is really trying to really make sense it's it's difficult if you're coming from a christian background it's a lot to swallow and 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 and, and, and um, um, uh it's really stretching your mind and 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 and, and what you've been taught and been programmed to all your life but it also really opens you up and, 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 and prepare yourself to, 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 to really be enlightened in, 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 in truth as we are seeking seekers of truth. And um, that guy at the end of the movie, Thanos, is he the bad guy? <laughs> no, because I thought... Okay, he's supposed to be now a picture of God, but I always thought he's a bad guy. I don't watch these movies, though. I get confused sometimes. But anyway, I knew some people die because my nephew had a breakdown at the end of the movie. <laughs> um, also, I'd like to just add to that, Jackie, where she said the fig tree and the olive tree. You know what? I didn't even know about that until I came to RBS because when Darren started speaking about it, I went home the one day and I thought, why is this being about trees? <laughs> Let me just go Google this. And you know, I don't, actually, I don't think, I've never heard of it 
whatever in a church or whatever, I don't think Christians know what to do with it because I don't think they know what it actually means. So they keep quiet about it. I've picked that up a lot now since I've been here. There's a lot of things I hear and then I think, okay. And then I go check and then I see, okay, it is spoken about. So I just, I don't think they know what to do with it. And then, funny enough, I was having a conversation the other day uh, at work. I think, I can't remember with who, but someone asked me, what do I think about witchcraft and necromancy and all this kinds of stuff? Do I believe in it? I said, yes, I do. So they asked me why. So I said, well, in the Bible, uh, God tells you, don't do it. So that tells me it's real. (laughs) And they couldn't understand my justification. So I said to them, why would he say don't do it if it doesn't exist, then he's wasting his time? Because he's here to tell you certain things. And if it wasn't real, he wouldn't tell you don't do it. Then... You know, he'd laugh it off and say that's stupid. But when I was younger, I had a big interest in funny stuff uh, like witchcraft. And I used to take out books and read up about it, not because I wanted to do it, because um, I just felt it's important to have a background knowledge because how are you going to know if you are being deceived, if you don't know what the deception looks like. My father used to freak out. I think he thought I was into which, <laughs> into funny stuff. I don't know. But he would, eventually got to a stage where he banned me from bringing the books at home. But I always used to tell him, Dad, it's not that. You must know what you're facing. How are you going to know? You might go to a church and they tell you to do something. You don't know any better. Someone else sees it and says, um, you know, I noticed you're doing that, but I've actually read up on it and it's what you're doing is very, you know, in line with paganism or what, what, what. So, yes, but I've come to the conclusion that this is a very touchy subject. People don't really understand it. So I'll never broach the subject with someone. I will wait for people to come to me and to talk about it to me. And then I will tell them what I know and what I think. So, choose your battles wisely. And today was very, very interesting for me. And I learned a bit about Marvel. <laughs> Can I tell you about the story about the little It was, how long are you working now there by, by Medicare? Seven years. Seven years ago, I go over uh, to the bridge and I go into Kumbuks. And I was taking this Bible and I was reading about the fig tree. And there, and then I was deciding I will buy this Bible. And, and, and that time I know that fig tree is Israel. And I won that Bible. I come to Rhine. He was bringing up an autoclave. So I took the, the, the script from that and Go and sell it. Same afternoon, I go and buy that Bible because the Bible was 900 and something. <laughs> because, because of that story. And, and, and that time I know he was talking about Israel. Yeah.
that was the fig tree. <laughs> Makes me buy that Bible. <laughs> and I still I use that Bible in this. Yeah. A few things uh, that I don't want the online community because we tend to be making a habit yeah, that after shul ends we have a second shul session which is not online and it's been amazing though so I don't, wanna, don't want that to stop. A few things to note. Firstly, if you really want truth, it will find you. Okay? I don't care where you are, it will find you. And it will find you has to end up meaning you get connected somewhere to something. And it's not church because everyone can find church easily. Everyone's stories of how you ended up here is weird. And the weirder the story, the more it implies something is up. Okay, so there's that I want to encourage you with. Number two, don't worry too much about quantum physics. It is a, literally an inconceivable science in its deepest level. All you need to know is it implies alternative reality. Okay? other than what we get to know, yeah, which is the point of it. I love it, but I can't fully understand it. Even the theories I have, I know doesn't, because you cannot actually conceptualize eternity or the supernatural. Our best efforts are weak efforts, okay? So on its own, don't worry too much about it. I love playing with words. Quantum gospel is because I love playing with words. That's the point. You know, it's amazing for me. Part of what came into this today happened when I sat with that friend of mine yesterday. does research for me, whatever, and he showed me some stuff and I said, confirms that I have to do this. And that to me is exciting. It excites me. It doesn't surprise me, but it excites me. And when it happens, I pray and I say, Spirit, thank you that you will still meet me in my little insignificant world and communicate like this. And I think that's why RBS is growing is because we, you're not coming here for anything flashy. In fact, you come here most often for hiding intellectually or to be told you're not really a disciple, even if you think you are. Who comes looking for that? It has to be the Spirit. You know what I'm saying? And I trust that He will bless us for as long as that's what we're doing. I don't know. I don't have expectation. I'm just here to do what we have to do. That's that. Jackie, the thief in the night story. As you can imagine, in rabbinical teaching, there's the three kinds of teaching and then there's the preaching version. The remez is the hint idea that builds on something else. Now, in Revelation, you're effectively dealing with a temple complex situation. That's what you're dealing with, a temple cult complex, the whole operation of that. Okay, so there's that. Now, in the temple, what would happen is the Levites were given the responsibility the altars burning to keep the incense going and all of that. So through the night, people had to do work. So you had shifts, like you're working shifts. What would happen is the captain of the god or the, the um, high priest would do random checks throughout the night at the different times. If he came to you and he found that you were sleeping by the altar, which could happen, he would take coals out of the fire from the shovel you were supposed to be using to keep it going, and it neatly placed coals on your garment. And what would happen is your garment would set on fire. By the time the heat got enough, you would wake up, obviously, and you would do one of two things. You would get up, 
run out while it's still burning because the sanctity of the holy place you don't want to defile or do that or number two, or number two you'd get up instantly and to preserve your own life and to stop yourself from burning you would take your garment off what does jesus say take care of your robes or you'll be naked if I come like a thief, it's that picture. That's what it is that he's alluding to there. So he's the high priest, which logically we know he is. That figure in that context was seen as a thief in the night. So the thief element there relates directly to the priest doing that. So that's what that, it's taken from that literal story, but the implication obviously becomes that Jesus is saying, you are now servants of mine, do your job. Or you will be shamed. Yeah, yeah. So the the parallel of the virgins is a different. I remember, yeah. Now, 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 with the logic of it didn't have to happen this way, you can understand the parable of the virgins to be saying, "Okay, you leadership of Israel, we're not ready for me. You have blocked this. Now I'm going to tell you what you are like. You are like people who." in the process of the wedding happen, but you've messed up and now you're going to miss the event. That's directed at the Pharisees and the Sadducees who weren't ready for his coming. So that's what he, So you can't just apply that to generally everybody. It's in the context of what he was saying. If you read the fuller passage, you find they've just been arguing with him. And then he goes into that. And know that some parables were literally done to hide the truth of what's coming literally said to and only told to the disciples too so there's that the point is you've got to know what part of the gospel are you reading and that defines what meaning it has it's not all just one simple thing we will i'll message you we can sort it out we'll we'll make sure you don't miss it uh, okay, so that's that, and I think that's it. So, to the online people, thank you very much, and have a good day. Good night, thank you. Bye bye. Bye. See you guys. Thanks, Darren.